You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. It is a little cooler this week. No more steam coming out of my rear end, but nevertheless, Speedy, you're going on a nice vacation. Yeah, headed down to Baltimore and going to see some family I haven't seen in at least two years. Some of them even longer than that since our last family reunion in 2011, headed down to Baltimore more in D.C., visiting some family that lives in Virginia, a lot of my dad's extended family, his cousins that he grew up with, and a lot of their kids, too. It'll be a lot of fun. We'll be going to one of the Camden Yards games to watch the Mets with P.J. Stewart hitting second against the Orioles, one of the best teams in baseball, and doing a bunch of other fun things as well. It will be fun, I'm sure. Uh, A little bit later in the show, we will be talking to Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Mets beat writer Pat Regazzo, he will be joining us. He is a fantastic personality, knows his stuff, and if you're a Met fan, you have to listen to Mr. Regazzo because he knows his stuff. So tune in a little bit later in the show. The Mets trade six players, including Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. What does that spell? That spells a losing season for all you Met fans. Scherzer mentions that Billy Epler told him the Mets' plans were to contend in 2025, not next year. Then why did you bring in Max Scherzer? Scherzer. That doesn't make any sense. I would be pissed off if I was Max Scherzer. Many reports say that Pete Alonso was on the trade block before the trade deadline. So, are the Mets paying him or not? I don't know what's going on with this organization. Billy Epler, I think he has a stick stuck up his you-know-what. <laughs> and Uncle Stevie, for a guy that likes to spend money, what the hell is he doing? Yankees with a very quiet deadline as they had two pitchers. Two pitchers that Yankee fans are not jumping for joy for. <laughs> Domingo Herman enters a treatment an alcohol abuse center. So the perfect game might have been perfectly drunk. Darrell Rivas and Joe Klecko this afternoon was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Very well deserved. Nathaniel Hackett and Aaron Rodgers fire back at Sean Payton. Thank God. Dalvin Cook and his meeting with the New York Jets went very well, he says. Jonathan Taylor requests a trade from the Colts. Interesting, as we had Daryl Reed on the show this week that said before he was drafted that there was quite a few things that he heard about Jonathan Taylor that the organization did not like. So, very interesting. Damian Lillard could receive some discipline from the NBA for his comments about only wanting to be traded to the Heat. Boxing, as I told everybody to bet the boat, and you probably lost a lot of money. I want to apologize to all the fans. We'll get into Terrence Crawford and his absolute domination over Errol Spence as he knocks him out in the ninth round. There won't be any Moneyline Mania this week, but we will have crunch time. Why don't we get into it as baseball? Baseball seems to be the only story in sports right now as football is around the corner. Preseason just started. The Jets lose their first preseason game 21-16. to Who cares? Because the Jets didn't play any starters except Mekhi Becton, who gets hurt. So let's get off the Jets. But the Mets trade six players, including Justin Verlander and their very good friend, Max Scherzer. 
Max Scherzer had some comments after being traded from the Mets to the Rangers saying that he waived his no-trade clause because the Mets didn't have plans to reload for next season. Scherzer also mentioned that Billy Epler, his plan was focusing on being a World Series contender in 2025 and 2026. And next season would be a transition year. Scherzer contract would have expired after next season, meaning he wasn't even a part of the plans of the championship window for that season. Both Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander had contracts over $40 million per year next season. The Mets had $365 million payroll this season and over $70 million than the next highest team. Max Scherzer is completely right about this. And I know Met fans are probably saying, look what we got. We got this guy. We got that guy. We got a top prospect. Yeah, good for you. Where the Mets are right now, everybody expected them to be competing for a playoff spot. With all the money that was invested, the billions and billions of dollars, because in the last two years of Uncle Stevie's reign, he has spent over $1.3 billion on players that are not producing. There are players right now on this team, in this organization, Pete Alonso being one of them, that is craving a contract, that should be getting a contract. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to bring in Max Scherzer, yes! As he has done absolutely nothing for the organization except lose. Stop comparing his numbers to the top 40 pitchers in baseball when he was the highest paid pitcher in baseball. Justin Verlander, who they spent $43.5 million this offseason, bringing a guy like that to this organization... Because he's a winner, a born winner, a Cy Young champion. And this guy couldn't get over the hump if you paid him another 10 or 15 million. And what do they do? They trade him back to the Houston Astros. We got this garbage. We'll send it back to you. Thank you. If you look at the Mets and the position they try to put themselves in going into the offseason this year, trying to hit home runs. They were right about Jacob DeGrom. His elbow wasn't going to hold up. They believed probably that in the next year or two, he was going to have an injury and he would be out for at least a year or two. Maybe the Mets knew something we didn't. Their trainers obviously don't know much of anything. This is an embarrassing move for the Mets to make at the trade deadline. Billy Epler, who a lot of Mets fans just absolutely adore, he was the one that dragged Shea Otani to the Angels. Oh my God, he's magnificent. He's going to draw Shea Otani to the Mets this offseason. Do you really believe that Shea Otani wants to go to a losing organization that just traded away two pitchers that they overpaid for that were over 40 years old? Do you really believe the best player right now in baseball is going to say, I'm going to the Mets. That's where I want to go. I want to play with Francisco Landor. I want to play with Pete Alonso. I can't even name their starting pitchers right now. Who's their number one guy right now, Peterson? It's an embarrassment. And if you're a Met fan, I'm trying to make you guys feel better because you added some good young prospects. So there's nothing really to worry about. You can rebuild through that. The Mets were very active as sellers at the trade deadline as they dealt six players. The Mets traded two relievers, Dominic Leon, he went to the Angels, and David Robertson, that went to the Marlins. The Mets traded two outfielders as Mark Canna went to the Brewers and Tommy Pham, who went to the Diamondbacks. It seems like Tommy Pham has played for every single team in baseball. The Mets also traded Justin Verlander back to the Astros for outfielder prospect Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford. Gilbert is the Astros' number one prospect, and Clifford is the number four ranked prospect in the Astros organization. All the great players the Astros had, top-ranking players, they're up. They're part of this roster. The two star pitchers that they have, they're up. Their power hitter, up, who was a big player and a big factor in the World Series last year. 
The Mets traded Max Scherzer to the Rangers for shortstop prospect Luis Hell Acuna. That's Ronald Acuna's brother. He's ranked number 44 in baseball. And the Mets traded for a total of four shortstops prospects in these trades. So obviously, they don't believe Francisco Lindor is the future shortstop of this organization. They signed him to an 11-year contract. That means he's got eight years left in that contract. He is 29, going to be 30. He is not going to be a Met till the age of 38. I think the Mets made it loud and clear making this trade. I was very surprised that no team was interested in Francisco Lindor, and I'm very surprised that the Mets weren't interested in trading Francisco Lindor. I think it's been an absolute joke. Sterling Marte, they overpaid for him about a year and a half ago. He stinks. He has done nothing. Every single piece that they added to this team, this organization, has practically gone already. Don't forget Eduardo Escobar two months ago. That's right. The only player they kept in the last two or three years with all the money they've thrown around is Francisco Lindor. And Marte because they couldn't trade him because he got hurt for like the third time already this He'll year. He'll be gone by the end of the season. <laughs> yeah. The only reason why he wasn't traded because of his injury. The Mets practically gave up on the season and they're probably going to give up on next season because they're going to be rebuilding again. And Uncle Stevie who told everybody that it was going to take no longer than five years to uh-huh. win a World Series. It looks like he's going into year four next year. Mm. What are the chances the Mets are going to be able to put a team together that's going to be able to compete in the National League next year and able to compete in 2025 when that's the season they're expected to win. It's going to be very difficult because they're still very far behind in the pitching department, not only when it comes to their major league roster, but also their farm system that has practically nothing when it comes to pitching. They have a double-A pitcher that I think is second or third in ERA in double-A, but that's really all you're banking on right now on a rotation that already traded away two guys. They've watched David Peterson and Tyler McGill both fail in the rotation this year as it is. You have a 33-year-old Jose Quintana that just came back two weeks ago. He's pitched fine, but nothing special. You better hope that they make this money work because I do think value-wise there's good and bad. The trades were good value. Max Scherzer getting a top 50 prospect I would have never expected. I look at when the Diamondbacks traded Zach Grinke to the Astros. Grinke was having a better year than what Scherzer had this year and they didn't even get a top 50 prospect. So the fact that the Mets did in that regard was miraculous. I never would have expected the Astros to give him two outfield prospects. You're right. They're not the highest grade prospects. They're B level and a C-level prospect, the fourth guy, but it's better than what I would expect for a guy making $40 million a year and pitching like a third starter. That being said, they didn't get any pitching prospects either. The comments with Billy Epler does not help either because the Mets are also getting that kind of reputation. If you do want to pursue all these big stars, I know you mentioned last week you think the Mets have a good shot at getting Juan Soto, but you look at what happened with Jacob deGrom, the sour ending that he had the last two years with the Mets, and now you look at Max Scherzer, these comments he's making about Billy Epler, like next year's a transition year, you're not even going to try, it just shows effortless, and I don't think any big name free agent is going to want to abide by that. Even these pitchers that might become free agents that are, you can get for $25, $30 million a year, are they going to be enticed by the Mets? They're going to have to overpay a little more if you want to get them, too. Pete Alonzo, if I was him, I would not be happy with the New York Mets. As a matter of fact, we see a lot of players demanding to be traded out of their organizations, as we see the NBA do it so many times. And now football players are doing it. If I was Pete Alonzo, I would go to Billy Epler, and I would go to ownership, Uncle Stevie, and tell him, if you don't pay me in the offseason, I want out, so trade me. And many sources mentioned that Pete Alonso was reportedly on the trade block during the MLB trade deadline. Max Scherzer also mentioned that Billy Epler had told him that they were considering trading Pete Alonso at the right price. Scherzer also added that anybody that was a free agent, not only this year, but next year, 
were available to be traded. Steve Cohen said, we hope we work things out with Pete. Alonzo mentioned that he hasn't spoken to the front office when it comes to direction of the club. Epler had previously mentioned in 2024 as a transition year, and the plan was for the Mets to be a contender in 2025 and 2026. Alonzo batting 218 with a 312 on base percentage, 31 home runs, and 77 RBIs this season. He is probably going to hit over 40 home runs, and he will probably have over 100 RBIs for back-to-back seasons, and Pete Alonzo is putting up the power numbers that should be paid. So if the Mets are not willing to pay him, and if you were Pete Alonzo, and he has been a very good Met, a leader for this Mets team, canceled his Twitter feed, he canceled his Instagram feed with social media, he has been nothing but what you want if you're an organization like the Mets, a guy that's all about the team, not about himself. He is the perfect guy to be the face of your organization, and for a team and an organization to come out and say that he was going to be available at the right price only tells you as an organization that they don't respect the players that they should respect. When they're overpaying guys like Francisco Lindor, who comes from an organization like Cleveland, where he demanded himself out of there. He did not want to be a Cleveland Indian anymore because he was sick of losing. You have Sterling Marte, who wanted the big bucks, so he goes to the Mets. And then you have guys like Justin Verlander, who took the money instead of staying with the Astros, and then gets traded back to the Astros. Max Scherzer, who says he wants to be a Met for the rest of his career. He wants to finish up as a Met, and then two years later, because he can't pitch a lick anymore, he gets traded to the Texas Rangers. The same team that Jacob DeGrom signed with. And then you look at some of the other players that they brought in from the organization. Brandon Nemo, who's had a pretty good season. Is Brandon Nemo better than Pete Alonso, who's been the face of the organization? You paid Brandon Nemo $190 million this offseason. Why isn't Pete Alonso getting paid that kind of money? He's won the home run derby. He has been everything to the New York Mets. He's been the only power hitter in this lineup. The face of your organization, your team, and he is a guy that you drafted. And now you're going to put him on a trade block and you're going to disrespect him like that when your team is not playing good baseball. And one of the main reasons why your team isn't playing good baseball is because your owner is throwing money into players that are not part of the organization and not all about the Mets organization and moving forward as an organization. And the fact that Billy Epler came out and said this is a transition year and they expect to win in 2025 and 2026, wasn't there a five-year plan? Didn't Steve Cohen come out numerous amount of times and said that it was a five-year plan. Yep. In 2021, that was supposed to be year one, and now you're in year four. So you're going to skip year four and just put it all in for 2025? You pretty much lied to the New York Mets fan. I love Steve Cohen. He's opening up his pockets. If you're a Mets fan, you should be happy that Steve Cohen is willing to do that because we all know the coupons aren't <laughs> willing to do that. But if you look at the situation now, you have an owner that put money into players that honestly did not fit this team and did not work for the last two years. You then trade them away for future prospects and everybody's so excited. Now all the Mets fans are like, wow, look at the prospects we got. Just as well as you were happy when you brought Max Scherzer in. Look at the player we got. And then you brought Justin Verlander in because Jacob DeGrom can't stay healthy. And all the Mets fans were so happy when Jacob DeGrom got hurt. Oh, the Mets were right. Then all of a sudden, you trade Max Scherzer to the same team that you let Jacob DeGrom go to, and he fills in the loss of Jacob DeGrom. And then you let Justin Verlander go back to the Astros and maybe win another World Series. So bravo to the New York Mets. Yeah, this is as sour of an ending to not only the season that was already lost as it was, but also player relationships again. Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer were the first 
two of it. Jacob deGrom had that sour ending for the last two years of his Mets career too when they mismanaged his injury and it really made them not trust not necessarily the previous front office but the ownership in general and then Max Scherzer who Billy Epler's revealing all these things about a five-year plan but then all of a sudden backtracks and all of a sudden you're gonna go trade your best player and you can't trust this Max Scherzer has a player option he leveraged his power he's going to Texas a team that has a lot of good young talent on offense and now you're gonna try to do it with Pete Alonso too if you're trading away all this money Max Scherzer Justin Verlander Canna etc the 131 million dollars combined that you trade if you trade Pete Alonso Billy Epler should never have a job in baseball again because you're gonna trade all that money and then not play the face of your franchise would be despicable and you're looking for a homegrown guy to be the face of that franchise it was David Wright before that for years and amidst all the other guys that left Jose Reyes Carlos Beltran etc that were traded or gone he was still there the whole time throughout all his injuries now Pete Alonso's that guy and you're gonna let him go you're gonna dangle him in trade rumors please look what the Yankees did now I didn't agree with the Yankees giving Aaron Judge the nine years 360 million dollars that they gave him but nevertheless he's a homegrown player he's mm-hmm. a player that you want to be the face of your organization moving forward and so the Yankees paid him Pete Alonso has done everything right for the New York Mets mm-hmm. speaking so highly of the organization and doesn't throw anybody under the bus and then all of a sudden this happens if I was Pete Alonso I would just part ways with the New York Mets tell them to trade me at the offseason let me go somewhere else let me go to a team that actually appreciates me and is willing to pay me if you're a weightlifter what do you like to do you like to shave your hair off your body you clean your hair off because it shows definition I don't think the Yankees could do anything right now that can show any definition to what this team is I don't think they know what this team is I think they're lost the Yankees got two pitching prospects I don't think Spencer Howard is much of a player but hey I thought he was two years ago he hasn't panned out his ERA is over seven right now if you're a Yankee fan yes we got Spencer Howard we're going to win the World Series I know a lot of people want to throw Brian Cashman down the drain. Oh my god, it's Brian Cashman's fault. Rizzo can't hit. You have LeMahieu that can't hit. You have Aaron Judge with his injury. It's all Brian Cashman's fault. He's the reason why they couldn't sell anything and buy anything at the trade deadline. You should have traded for Tommy Pham. So, why would the Yankees bring in two pitchers? A guy that was a top prospect in Spencer Howard a right-handed pitcher from the Texas Rangers just gave up money for him as we all know that Texas Rangers probably just wanted to get rid of him. They didn't want him. So you know what? We'll give him to the Yankees. Maybe the Yankees will figure him out. There's no room for him, no. He gets traded for Max Scherzer and also Jordan Montgomery. New York pitcher reunion. I can't sit here and say, hey, the Yankees did well. And then adding Middleton from the Chicago White Sox. Another pitcher that has underachieved in Chicago. The White Sox thought he was going to be a starting top two pitcher in their rotation has fallen out of love with the Chicago White Sox execs and GM. And that's why the Yankees got him for Juan Carella. And I don't blame Brian Cashman for what the players are doing in the regular season. That's not his fault. Aaron Boone's going to take the brunt of this. But I blame Brian Cashman when you know you need offense, that you've been pulverized by teams in your division. Tampa, the Orioles, the Blue Jays, even the damn Red Sox has been busting a you-know-what When they play you, how could you not add any offense to this lineup? I just think it's an absolute blunder. And last year, when we look at the trade deadline, there were so many big names, including Juan Soto, who went all the way to the Padres from the Nationals. There was no big names. And I don't want to hear about Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer. They're 40 years old. They're old enough to live in a country home. They're married to beautiful women, young women. But these guys are a shell of themselves. 
They're not the same player as they were. And Justin Verlander, who pitched well his last two starts, he's been horrible. Now he's going to go back to the Astros. The Astros are a pretty good roster, a good team, and his numbers are going to go back down. You know why? Because he's playing for a very good defensive team. They hide his deficiencies as a pitcher. The Yankees, they had an absolute blunder at the trade deadline because I did think that they were going to make some kind of moves. Yeah. It was embarrassing, and Brian Cashman should be ashamed of himself. Yankees' Domingo Herman enters an inpatient treatment for alcohol abuse. New York Yankees right-hander Domingo Herman has voluntarily entered an inpatient treatment for alcohol abuse Wednesday. Herman was placed on a restricted list while undergoing treatment, according to the Yankees. It is critical that Domingo completely focuses on addressing his health and well-being, the team said. We will respect his privacy as he begins this process. What does this say about the Yankees right now? Domingo Herman, who's been a bright spot for the Yankees this year, pitching the perfect game a couple of weeks ago. Yes, he cheated with the rosin situation. Domingo Herman is probably done for the season. So if you're a Yankee fan and you expect the Yankees to have Domingo Herman in this rotation, if they have any chance about making the playoffs, that's not going to happen. Nestor Cortez will be back this weekend. Mm -hmm. Luis Savarino, I think the Yankees are just either going to send him down or sit him out or move him into the bullpen because he's horrible right now as a starting pitcher in that rotation. But pitching isn't the problem for the Yankees right now. They can't hit. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will be talking to Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Mets beat writer Pat Regazzo here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all the shows throughout the week, including the Loudmouths, which me and Speedy host and co-host every single Wednesdays and Thursdays right now in the summer at 9 p.m. Tune into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. And now, for the first time on our show, we're now talking to Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Mets beat writer and reporter Pat Regazzo. Pat, what's up, man? Nothing much. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. Happy to have you on. I know you're not a very happy camper, or maybe you are. So before we get into that, how are you doing? This is the first time on a show. How are you and your family doing two years ago? It was the whole COVID thing how you feeling i'm doing well just enduring the grind of baseball season as you guys are too but doing well and that's have made a little bit of news if you might say so they made a lot of news and news that i just laugh about because two players that uh, a lot of met fans were so excited about max scherzer a couple of years ago this guy is a Cy young champion he won a world series he's gonna be great for us and two years later he's gone he's playing for the texas rangers with jacob Degrom. i mean jacob Degrom is sitting out but he's with Jake, and then they make a move this offseason because, you know what? I want to make Max Scherzer happy. We're going to bring his buddy in, Justin Verlander, and we're going to pay him the same amount of money. Yes! And he decides to go to the Mets, and he gets traded back to the Astros. What were your thoughts to the additions of those two old men? And now what are your thoughts to the trades and the players that they landed this trade deadline? Money does not equate to wins. 
as we've learned. Steve Cohen came in with his checkbook. He's got a lot of money. They spent endless amounts of it in the offseason and essentially brought back a similar team to last season that won 101 games but ran out of gas in the end and added to that roster as well. They lost Jacob DeGrom, but they added Justin Verlander. They re-signed Edwin Diaz, re-signed Nimmo, brought in Kodai Sanga, re-signed Adam Adovino, tooled up, and it didn't work out this year. Relying on two 40-year-old pitchers, as great as they are, future Hall of Famers. And Scherzer was really good last year until the end, obviously, and Verlander's coming off the Cy Young Award, but it was a lot to rely on. It totally floundered. And now, fast forward to the trade deadline, and I didn't think that they were going to trade either guys, but they got offers that they felt they couldn't refuse. And I like what they've kind of done to retool the farm system. Some of the guys were rookie ball players, may never see the majors. Specifically for Scherzer, I like what they got in Ronald Acuna's younger brother, who's in double A, having a very good year. He might be able to contribute sooner rather than later in the next year or two. For Verlander, they got two very good outfield prospects. They got the Astros' number one prospect and their number four prospect, who are both having very good years, one in double A, one in high A ball. So the Mets went full on fire sale and they're going to be entering a little bit of a rebuild here, but I do like what they got to kind of replenish the farm system. So what do you think about Epler's comments that he made? Do you think it's realistic that next year is just going to be a transition year or do you think that he's just bluffing and they're still going to target some other pitching because they really need a lot of pitching, especially young pitching to bolster up that rotation? They do. And Epler's comments are very telling. I mean, he said they're not going to have the same World Series odds that they did going into 2022 and going into 2023. They're not going to spend like drunken sailors. But that being said, that doesn't mean they're not going to make moves. They have several holes in the starting rotation. They don't have an ace uh, unless you count Kodai Sango, who's having a very good year. But they're going to have to make moves in the offseason to kind of fill those holes. And even though they won't be spending like drunken sailors, I mean, this takes them out on Otani. I mean, there's a lot of rumors Otani prefers to stay on the West Coast anyway. The Mets, I don't even know if they're going to be in on Otani based off the transition that they're about to enter. So based off Epler's comments, I expect them to sign some free agents and fill some of those holes, but they're not going to spend like crazy like they did this past year. We are talking to Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Mets beat writer Pat Regazzo. Now, Pat, Billy Epler speaks very highly of the Yankees' Brian Cashman as he comes from the Yankees organization, and Brian Cashman didn't have a very good trade deadline either, and everybody wants to throw Brian Cashman a bone or just get rid of him. Now, if Brian Cashman ever gets fired from the New York Yankees, don't you think that the Mets would be in line to add him as a president or the head of player personnel if he becomes available for the New York Mets? I believe he would be the first person the Mets will be calling if he becomes available. Am I right or wrong? I would say you're right, but if they bring in David Searns, then they might not need to go. Cashman never becomes available, which I don't know that he will. Even this year, if the Yankees wind up missing the playoffs, tons of underperformance on that roster. They have stars in Judge and Garrett Cole, and they haven't built around them, and they didn't do anything at the trade deadline when they desperately needed a bat or two. So I think that David Stearns doesn't come to the Mets and Cashman becomes available. Yeah, I think the Mets would be interested. You mentioned David Stearns. You look at young pitching that could be available either in trades or maybe in free agency, and the Brewers have a lot of it. Corbin Burns didn't get the arbitration. Brandon Woodruff, they have a lot of guys like that. Could you could see those kinds of moves either for the Brewers or some of these other young pitchers that could be available maybe in arbitration or in free agency for the Mets? Yeah, it's definitely possible. A guy like Snell, Flaherty is going to be available. Even this guy coming from Japan, the Mets have had recent luck with Japanese starting pitchers and they're going to have to make moves. They don't have an ace in their rotation now after trading away Verlander and Scherzer. They are going to have to make moves to get starting pitchers and uh, I think that they will. I know you like Sega and I was one of the guys that actually said that Sega was going to have the best record and probably the best pitcher for the New York Mets this year. And one of the main reasons why is because he's coming from Japan. None of these hitters have actually seen him. And 
usually the first year, those pitchers play very, very well. It's usually the second and third years is where either you're a good pitcher or you're not, or teams are going to figure you out and you're going to be knocked out of the league pretty much in the next five or six years. I understand a lot of Mets fans are happy about Sanger, and you should be, but let's see in the second year. What I'm interested to see with the Mets going into the offseason is Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso has been the face of their organization for the last two seasons. Jacob DeGrom was a big part of that, but everybody knew that Jake didn't want to be there. I was one that said it last year before the season even started. I would be very surprised if Jake re-signs with the New York Mets. I think he's going to go to a place where he can buy a farm and, and raise his kids. And what did he do? He went to Texas and then he got hurt. I could say the same right here. When you look at the Mets and the situation that they're in, you can't name their number one pitcher. You want to say Sanka, but Sanka, we don't know if he's a number one or a number two or a number three in the future. Peterson, come on. The problem right now with the Mets and what is held is Pete Alonso's contract. They need to figure out the number and get this thing closed as soon as possible. This is an arbitration year for Pete Alonso. Next year, he could say, you know what? You're not going to bet on me. I'm not betting on you. I'm going to free agency and I'm going to go somewhere that wants me. What are your thoughts to Pete Alonso and maybe trying to close the deal with Pete Alonso, being that he is the face of that team and that organization? I think it should be a top priority this offseason, especially if they're not going to be necessarily spending like crazy. you got to lock up your franchise cornerstone player. I know he's had his struggles this year, but since he came into the league, no one has more home runs and more RBIs. He's just been that franchise guy for the Mets, and it would be a mistake to let him go. I think that teams are probably going to be calling about potentially trading for him in the offseason, but I think the Mets would be crazy to not sit down at the table and negotiate a long-term deal. Billy Eckler and Buck Showalter, I mean, both have had their issues this year with their particular roles. Do you think their jobs are safe going next year? Billy Eckler, I think, will be back next year. Buck Showalter, I'm not sure. I mean, he's got one more year on his deal. If Stearns comes in, there's a chance that he brings Craig Council with him, and I think that would be an excellent managerial choice for the Mets. So, I think Billy is going to stay no matter what, and Steve Cohen has entrusted him with this transition period rebuild, whatever you want to call it. Billy made, made the trades, and he's going to be entrusted with continuing to be the GM. But Buck Showalter, I would say his future is a little more murky there. We are talking to Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Mets beat reporter Pat Regazzo. I look at the Mets right now, and their best young player right now on their roster is Alvarez, who's having a really good year. He's been hot and cold in the beginning of the season, but he's picking up steam in the second half. What are your thoughts to Alvarez? I think Alvarez has been one of the lone bright spots this year. You know, you talk about Sanga, and then you look at Alvarez. I think Alvarez is going to be a star. Hit over 20 home runs as a catcher, and he's been as good as advertised. There's obviously room for improvement, batting average, and OPS departments, but I think that future is bright. He's going to be looked at as one of these franchise players moving forward, obviously. So two guys in the veteran department that have been particularly down was obviously Marte, who's been hurt a lot, and then McNeil, who's had a really bad year after winning a batting title last year. Are you worried about either of them long term? A little bit. You look at Marte... He had the double groin surgery in the offseason, and he even admitted that it's affected his hitting, it's affected his hips and his power at the plate, and it showed this year the amount of extra base hits he has, his OPS, his home runs and RBIs, and he's got to get healthy. I am concerned about his health. And McNeil, yeah, you got to get him right. He had a very bad year in 2021, and he's arguably had a worse year this year. So you got to get him fixed. And whether it be the change in hitting coach or change in approach philosophy, it's hard to count on a guy coming off a bad year like that. But McNeil has the talent. But yeah, I definitely worry about both those players. Pat, I don't want to get you in trouble, but I know you work for Sports Illustrated. And I love the swimsuit edition. I know you checked out the swimsuit edition. Is there any particular centerfold woman that you liked 
in the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition? I like Livy Dunn. I like how they put Livy Dunn in it. Oh, he likes the gymnast. Yeah, he loves the gymnast. Speedy, you like gymnasts? I do. They are very talented athletes. Did you ever think about dating a gymnast? I could. Is she flexible enough for you? Yeah, I would hope so if she's a gymnast. She asked you if she wanted to show you one of her double flip. Wanted sure. to double flip on top of you. Would you oh let God, her? Oh, God, would I let her land on me? Why not? The she's light as a feather. Be, yeah, they can jump high, though. So because she jumps high, she can't land on top of you? A falling object landing on top of me is not ideal. She's a woman. If it was a man, I would worry about what we're talking about right now. But a woman? I think I would love Miss Dunn falling on top of me. You wouldn't love that? All right, you can go to LSU and start dating her. I'm right. sure she's got a lot of guys lined up. I don't think she needs me. Uh, she's a young one. I'm 41. Pat has a better chance. How old are you, Pat? 27. I think she'd go with a 27-year-old. She wants somebody with a little bit more education, if you know what I mean, Speedy. LSU is known for their great athletic prowess, not as much the academic prowess. <laughs> Two national championships this year with women's basketball and with baseball. Talk away from gymnastics. Sports <laughs> Illustrated actually had an interesting article, too, with the sticky substances at the beginning of the year. The Mets always have been caught with a lot of it. The Yankees have been caught with a lot of it. Do you think that really hurt somebody like Max Scherzer and some of the other Mets pitchers this year? And also the rule as a whole in baseball, what do you think of it? I think that there should be a rule, and we saw it with Max this year, the umpire deeming what's too sticky and what's not. I think that there needs to be a rule. There needs to be more of a fine line than just an umpire saying, oh, nope, your hands are too sticky. You're out of here. I think that that needs to be cleaned up more clear. The pitchers need to be on the same page with the umpires. It's hard to tell whether that's affected Scherzer or not. All the pitchers in the league were utilizing sticky substances for a very long time to give them the better grip. There should be something that they can use besides rosin. I think that helps them because, again, I love we're this talking guy. about player safety here, and you don't want a pitch getting away, hitting a guy in the head. We've seen it too many times in the past couple of years. So I think that needs to be altered there. I love your thoughts of sticky substances because it's been going on forever. Just like steroids. Amphetamines has been going on for 40, 50 years. We've had how many baseball players saying that steroids should be allowed in baseball? And they're complaining about sticky substances on pitchers' hands when it's been going on. Major League. You had Harris talk to the wild thing and he says, I'll put whatever I need on the ball. Snot, crap, whatever the hell he puts on it. He said, I don't have an arm like you. It's been going on for ages and now Rob Manford, who wants to change the game because the guy's a complete moron. Hopefully, Theo Epstein takes over as the commissioner of baseball because this guy is a complete moron. But nevertheless, this is ridiculous. I agree with you 110%. You look at baseball as a whole and you look at the dominance of certain teams and certain organizations, maybe because they have more money. And now baseball is growing and now small market teams have big players because they can afford to pay those big players. Do you believe baseball will transition where we're going to see teams in the World Series not not the Yankees, not the Astros, not the Red Sox, not those big market teams like the Dodgers and St. Louis. Are we ever going to see a consistency of maybe the Kansas City Royals or the Chicago White Sox? Do we believe that baseball is going to transition this way? It's hard to say because those teams will become good and they'll go to a World Series. You know, you saw the Royals won in 2015. They beat the Mets and you'll see them go to the World Series, maybe go to the playoffs a couple times, but then they wind up tearing it down and they go into rebuild mode and rebuilds last seven to 10 years. And unless you're in that big market spending money, it's kind of hard to build a sustainable winner just because we see these teams tear it down so often. It's tough to see these teams in the World Series on a consistent basis. The rule changes this year have been a big factor. We talked about the sticky stuff since earlier, but also the pitch clock, the big your basis, stuff like that. Any that you like and any that you don't like being implemented in the game? There's not necessarily any that I don't like, but I love the pitch clock because mm. of what it's done to speed up the game. A nice 
two hour, two and a half hour game definitely beats the three, three and a half, four hours. We've still seen some long games this year, but I do really love the pitch clock and what it's done to kind of change the length of the game. Well, Pat, keep up the good work. We've spoken to one of your bosses over there at Sports Illustrated. He's fantastic. Mark Patterson. Mark is a really, really nice guy, a friend of the show. We really do love him. He says he brings only the best into Sports Illustrated, so I guess he predicts that you're the best, Mr. Regazzo. So we really appreciate your time. We'll get you on closer to the end of the season, and I've been reading some of your stuff. It's fantastic. So keep up the good work, my friend. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. The great and powerful Pat Regazzo, as he is absolutely upset at the New York Mets, Speedy. Yeah, we're going down with the ship like all the Mets fans are because they decided to sign in free agency the uh, Steve Cohen Museum of Natural History, and now they're watching all the old men get traded elsewhere. Hopefully there's a sense of direction for this organization, but who knows? Well, all the Mets fans wanted a rich owner, and they got a rich owner that likes to spend his money and now trade off pieces. So good luck. To all the Mets fans and enjoy the offseason because they're not getting Shea Otani, either of the Yankee fans. So if anybody thinks that he's coming to New York, you guys are on drugs. When we come back, Hard Knocks is around the corner. If you're a Jet fan, you should be happy because the season's right around the corner. You shouldn't be happy that they lose the Hall of Fame game, but who cares? The only thing that you should care about is Mekhi Becton could be out for a significant amount of time. Who knows? Who cares? Because he's not going to be starting. When we come back, we will get into some Jets conversation and a lot more here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. We are the Weekend Crunch. Tune in every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time LA on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Loudmouths, which airs every single Wednesdays and Thursdays during the summer at 9 p.m. with me and Speedy Petey. Great guest, great content, and yes, crazy callers. Listen to Worldwide Sports Radio by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. If you're a Jet fan, you should absolutely love that Aaron Rodgers sticks up for his coach, Nathaniel Hackett, as he attacks the great and powerful, crazy Sean Payton after the distinguished craziness that was coming out of his mouth over the weekend. Aaron Rodgers responded to Sean Payton's comments taking shots at Nathaniel Hackett by saying, keep your coach's name out of my mouth. He also added that the comments were out of line and made Payton look insecure. Nathaniel Hackett also commented on Peyton broke an unwritten code with coaches with his comments. Rodgers also added that Hackett is arguably my favorite coach. Peyton mentioned that he doesn't want to give the story any more attention and that he and Rodgers are past it. The Jets and Broncos will face off week five in Denver. Here's what I'm going to say about very respectful coaches around the league that haven't been in the league for a couple of years decide to come back because he gets traded for a first-round draft pick. Why open your mouth and open up a can of worms? Because now Aaron Rodgers responds. He obviously is not happy about the comments that Sean Payton said as he said it to Schrager the other day when he was interviewed at the Jets' camp. Aaron Rodgers is a guy that respects Nathaniel Hackett. He, it's his favorite coach. It, it, a lot of people believe the only reason why Aaron Rodgers came to the Jets was Nathaniel Hackett and why he was hired. 
I believe that was the Jets' plan, was to draw Aaron Rodgers by signing Nathaniel Hackett. And then, because of the whole Russell Wilson shebang-bang in Denver, as the press has been attacking Russell Wilson in the season that he had last year, he failed. The team actually gave up on Russell Wilson. The offensive line woes that he had in Seattle... After trading Russell Wilson, using those picks to add offensive line help, which gave them, I believe, a pro Bowl tackle for the next 10, 12 years, and giving them an opportunity to rebuild an offensive line that was one of the worst in the league for the last couple of years. And Russell Wilson fighting with the defense on the side as the defensive players were attacking the offense because they were on the field too long. And then you have a guy like Sean Payton who probably doesn't know what was really going on in that locker room. Because he wants to blame it on the coach. But the coaches have to blame because he doesn't know how to control the players. But there's a reason why Russell Wilson wasn't liked in Seattle. As we've heard many different ex-Seattle Seahawks say that they didn't like Russell Wilson and they didn't get along with him. And then, seeing him in Denver in his first year not get along with the wide receivers, not get along with the defense, as Patrick Sertan, when they asked Patrick Sertan what he thought about Russell Wilson in the offense, he had no comment to say in the middle of the season, and he's their best defensive player. To me, it summarized what Sean Payton is, and that's a clown. And that's what, to me, Aaron Rodgers is going to do in Week 5 to the Denver Broncos is turn them into a circus. He is going to spin the wheel and make the deal. And Russell Wilson is not going to be able to keep up with that offense for the New York Jets. And and I don't know if he's going to be able to score on that defense of the New York Jets because they're going to have the Broncos' name on their board for all five weeks. Circled for week five when they play in Denver like they did last year and absolutely embarrass Sean Payton in that Denver Broncos team. And also, you look at the Broncos, the way they're built right now. They improved their offensive line, and they got some receivers back, but they already have two receivers already hurt now for the season. Tim Patrick, who was hurt last year, too, and then K.J. Hamler. Everybody wants to give Russell Wilson all the credit in the world because of what Seattle did when he was there, the offense that they had. Look who they had as their wide receivers. There is no question Russell Wilson wasn't the reason why they were a good offensive team. Because last year, with Geno Smith, they were amongst the top 12 offenses in all of football. He had DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. He had two really good tight ends. He had good running backs. Russell Wilson, as good as he was over there in Seattle and helped them win a Super Bowl. Why did they win the Super Bowl? Why did they go to almost back-to-back Super Bowls? Because of their defense. The Legion of Boom. Probably one of the best secondaries of all time. And now this year, with Geno Smith, with Najigba and Metcalf and Lockett, this team is even more explosive than they were when Russell Wilson was there. And they drafted a running back. They still have Walker. And they have that offensive line, which, by the way, they didn't want to do when Russell Wilson was there, was help him build an offensive line because they said, you know what? Let's kill the SOB. Ironically, now one of the players that Russell Wilson on defense was fighting with last year was defensive tackle Draymond Jones, who is now where? On the Seattle Seahawks. They had a very good offseason bolstering that front seven as well. That's going to be a scary team. And the Broncos, if they want to be a scary team, they're going to figure out something character-wise. Because, yeah, it's interesting because Russell Wilson did does have that kind of reputation, which was kind of weird because when those comments were initially being made, 2015 and 2016, when these players were leaving, Richard Sherman, he's allowed 
foul mouth, Bobby Wagner, Cam Chancellor. It's not surprising, but then later on, more and more players got to do it, and it started to add up over time in Seattle, too, where the whole defense was pretty much gone and had to transform themselves into an offensive team. And Russell Wilson, he wasn't really a volume quarterback in terms of a heavy passing attack until probably 2015, that second half of that 2015 season, where Marshawn Lynch got hurt. And since then, I think that five-year peak, he was great. But ever since then, in 2020 and beyond, he's still been kind of iffy since that wrist injury, that thumb injury, and that's really damaged him since then. And it's going to take a while for him to adjust to a very complicated offense, too, that Sean Payton has. I know Trevor Price, when we had him on the show, was saying it wasn't as complicated as you think, but it's still a lot more complicated than some of these offenses he's played with, with these other offensive coordinators. And also, a lot of people like Miami this year. And the questions are, with their injury report, Tyreek Hill is injured right now, could miss a significant amount of time. Jalen Ramsey is hurt. He is going to miss a significant amount of time. And maybe the next player we're going to hear in the next couple of weeks is... Tua being hurt because the guy never stays healthy. So for all those AFC East fans out there that have Miami surprising everybody to win the division, I think you need to take two steps back because you don't know what this Miami team is going to be before the season starts. Don't worry. They solved their Jalen Ramsey issue. They signed the great Eli Apple. Oh, I'm sorry. There it is. For all you Giant fans, maybe they should hire their mother to be a reporter on the sidelines. Why not? They already deleted all her social medias anyway. So what kind of information could get out possibly in Miami? I mean, she didn't shut up when he was in New York. It's Miami. What could possibly go wrong? ESPN. Jeremy Fowler reports that Dalvin Cook visited the New York Jets, and it went well. Fowler also added that Cook was encouraged by the idea of playing against his brother twice a year with the Bills. Sports Illustrated Albert Breer also mentioned that Dalvin Cook loves the idea of playing with Aaron Rodgers and has thought this way for over a month. Rodgers said about Cook, tough guy, but also a Elusive, good one, cut guy, speed, power, good, out of the backfield. I love the guy, and I believe he's a perfect fit for the New York Jets, either this year or the future. But anytime you can add a veteran player, you'd be excited about that for sure. Cook responded to Rogers' message with a green heart emoji. Joe Douglas has mentioned he only wants to keep four running backs on the roster at most. Many people also believe Cook could be using the Jets to leverage the Dolphins into giving him more money or years. I believe Dalvin Cook will probably make his decision in the next week. Is it going to be the Jets? If it was going to be the Jets, he would have signed with them. It's not going to be the Jets. It won't be the Jets. I'll be very surprised if Dalvin Cook goes to the New York Jets. I think he likes the idea of playing with Aaron Rodgers. I think he likes the idea of playing against the Bills and his brother twice a year. But the truth is, he's probably going to be a Miami Dolphin. I believe that was the place he wanted to go to. I believe he's just waiting for Miami to bite. He knows he'll be the number one guy in Miami. He knows he's not the number one guy in New York. Brees Hall will be the number one guy. If it's not week one, it'll be week two or week three. And Dalvin Cook doesn't want to be the other guy. He wants to be the guy. As you see right there in Minnesota, he wasn't the guy because Justin Jefferson became the guy. And Kirk Cousins, for some reason, has a love fest for Justin Jefferson because every other throw, he throws it to Justin. Until the Giants were able to stop it after the first drive of the playoff game. Dalvin Cook is a sensational player. Would I want him on the Jets? 100%. Who wouldn't want Dalvin Cook on the New York Jets? I do believe he's using the Jets as leverage.
Because if he really, really wanted to sign with the Jets, he would have done that. And the fact that Aaron Rodgers put a heart around it, it don't matter. He's not going to be a Jet. The fact that Aaron Rodgers saved the Jets money well, they can bring in free agents or off waivers before the season starts, it gives them leeway to add another player. If it's any position, it's going to be a tackle position. Mm-hmm. The Jets have four running backs on this team. They have Bam Knight. They have Michael Carter. They have Israel. And they have Brees Hall. As you saw Joe Douglas come out and say that he only wants to hold four running backs on this roster. There's four right there. And none of them are on expiring contracts either, so they'll have them for next year too. If you put Bam on the practice squad, somebody could pick him up off of waivers. They don't want to lose Bam. Bam played well-ish. Michael Carter too. You put him on the practice squad or you put him in the waivers, somebody's picking him up. And this is the last year for Michael Carter. The Jets are not bringing Michael Carter back next year. Hence the reason why they drafted Israel. Either way, they're not forced to release him though either because they've got one more year left on his rookie deal. So Mm -hmm. even less incentive to bring in another running back. I just don't think the Jets are the team that's going to come out the winner on this side of the end. Yeah, I've always said at the start of the Dalvin Cook process when he first got released and the Vikings were trying to dangle him in a trade that the Dolphins and the Broncos were the two most ideal fits because of the types of offenses they're in. The Broncos obviously have the question marks with Javante Williams' health, which adds to that. You brought on Samaje Ryan as a backup who played well last year with the Bengals, but is he a fl- every down back? No. And same kind of thing with Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook is kind of that complement to Ryan, the type of runner that he is, in a creative offense like Sean Payton to go along with Russell Wilson, especially with all those receivers hurt now too. They need guys that could spread the field around. And Miami, a heavy motion offense, a lot like the Vikings, that Dalvin Cook, even if he's not going to get the volume that he used to with the Vikings when Mike Zimmer was there, he still was an efficient back last year in that Kevin O'Connell offense. And Mike McDaniel's very similar, and they do even more motion than the Vikings did. The Jets will have two great inductees into the Hall of Fame on Saturday, Darrell Rivas and Joe Klecko. Klecko played 11 years with the Jets, 12 total NFL seasons, and was a four-time Pro Bowler, two-time first-team All-Pro player, and the United Press International Defensive Player of the Year in 1981. Klecko had 20.5 sacks in 1981, which is tied for the most all-time in a single-season defensive tackle with Aaron Donald in 2018. Klecko was part of the New York Sack Exchange with Marty Lyons and Abdul Samad and set the Jets team franchise record with combined 66 sacks in 1981. Klecko is 15th all-time amongst defensive tackles with 78 total sacks. Revis was a seven-time pro bowler, four-time first-team all-pro player, and a member of the all-decade 2010 team. Revis had 29-7 receptions, 139 passes deflected, and only committed 27 penalties in his career. Revis is arguably the greatest single season for a cornerback in 2009 on passes that he was targeted. Only 37.8% of them were caught. Just 502 yards and 29.1 passing rating. That season, Revis held many notable receivers under 40 yards in their respectable matchups, including Andre Johnson, Chad Johnson, Steve Smith, and both Terrell Owens and Randy Moss twice. I think Darrell Revis is the second best corner of all time. You can argue Charles Woodson yeah. was a fantastic player, and there was a lot of good corners, but Darrell Revis, because of his dominance in a seven-year span, and I know everybody says he only had 29 interceptions in his career, but people forget that Darrell Revis was never thrown to. As you heard Tom Brady come out and say that Darrell Revis is the best corner he's ever played against, and he's played against some of the greatest. And he also played with Darrell Revis when they won the Super Bowl with the Patriots. I'm looking 
looking forward to seeing Darrell Rivas be inducted into the Hall of Fame. He was my favorite player growing up. He was a fun player to watch. I remember when the Jets traded up and drafted Darrell Rivas the way they did. And I remember that draft. And I remember when Darrell Rivas was highly praised by Rex Ryan when he came to this team and this organization and said that I have the best corner in all of football. And Joe Klecko, who is very well respected around the league, very well respected player, who's been waiting for over 25 years to be inducted into the Football Hall of Fame, finally gets into the Hall of Fame. This is one of the more underrated defensive players of all time. Only Aaron Donald had 20 and a half sacks in one season, like Joe Klecko. The New York Sack Exchange is one of the greatest defensive lines we've ever seen. If you understand the talents of these two players and the positions that they played and the times that they played, they were two of the best at their positions in the league. And the fact that Darrell Rivas is a first ballot Hall of Famer, it's well-deserved. I don't think anybody thought that Joe Klecko was going to have to wait 25 years to be inducted into the Football Hall of Fame. There's a lot of players still not inducted into the Football Hall of Fame that deserves the opportunity to be there. And again, you look at a position like Joe Klecko had to deal with at the defensive tackle that doesn't get the respect it deserves in the Hall of Fame either because it's not as much of a flashy position like it is an edge rusher. And he's 15th all-time among sacks of defensive tackles. There's not a lot of defensive tackles that have over 100 sacks in their career as it is. And he's still at 78. And he had good longevity too. He had multiple multiple double-digit sack seasons. Those numbers were put in later because the official sack record wasn't until 1982, so at the time, for the first, like, 20-something years he had to wait on, he's like, alright, this guy only has 24 career sacks, but then new data came out, and he had some of the best single seasons among defensive tackles. You look at a case of him being so undervalued for a while in a position that was so undervalued for a while, long overdue for him, and I agree with you on Darrell Revis. I think he is the second-best corner of all time, too. When you look at Revis Island, what that term means, like, he was shut down, not targeted, and to put in perspective, 502 receiving yards on a championship competitive team would probably be their number three or number four wide receiver. And he allowed that all year, facing number one guys all year. And a 29.1 passer rating is insane. So those numbers are telling just how locked down Darrell Revis was that season. And it wasn't just that season either. It was his first six years in the NFL with the Jets. His last year was a little sour, but then he went to the Patriots and he still put up great numbers over there too. Absolutely. And Darrell Revis throughout the league was very well respected. So for anybody to think that Darrell Revis wasn't the greatest of this era and one of the greatest of all time, then you are obviously a Jet hater and a Darrell Revis hater. But Richard Sherman has taken shots at Darrell <laughs> Revis. Asante Samuel has taken shots at Darrell Revis, and it's fine. These guys were very well respected at the same position, but I don't think any of them were as talented all around dominant as Darrell Revis was at the prime of his career. And as far as Joe Kaleko, very well deserved. It's a shame that the NFL and the union of voters didn't vote this guy in quicker than waiting for almost 20-some-odd years to get inducted into the Hall of Fame. But it's a great year to be inducted into the Hall of Fame with the Jets expected to be very, very good. Uh, The Jets playing the Hall of Fame game. This is a big year, not only for the New York Jets and the organization, but for New York sports. And to see two players with the same team being inducted at the same time is a special, special time for New York Jet fans and New York fans. Even if you're not a Jet fan, to watch two New York players being inducted in the Hall of Fame is a fantastic, fantastic story. So, congratulations to Joe Klecko and Darrell Revis. Jonathan Taylor officially requested a trade from the Colts on Saturday. Owner Jim Irsay says the Colts have no intentions on trading Taylor. And mention, if I die tonight and Jonathan Taylor is out of the league, 
No one's going to miss us. The league goes on. We know that. Taylor also took shots at ESPN, who claimed that he had a back issue going into training camp, which he said were false. Taylor was one of many running backs to take shots at NFL owners and GMs for the struggling running back market, saying, if you're good enough, they'll find you. If you work hard enough, you'll succeed. If you succeed, you boost the organization. And then, doesn't matter, you're a running back. Taylor will be fined $40,000 by the Colts for each day that he misses. Taylor was not a first-round pick, so he doesn't have a fifth-year option, making him an unrestricted free agent if he plays this season. However, if he holds out the whole season, he would be a restricted free agent going into the offseason. I do not believe he's going to hold out. I cannot see Jonathan Taylor doing that. I also don't believe that the Colts are going to trade him. I think the reason why Jonathan Taylor does not want to be a Colt is he doesn't like the offense. And he doesn't like the offense because it's not running through him anymore. And I believe Jonathan Taylor is one of the more dominant running backs in the league. And if you're playing fantasy football this year, he is going to drop if he doesn't play all preseason. I cannot see Jonathan Taylor being a high first-round draft pick going into this fantasy year. Right now, I think he's ranked fourth or fifth. And now he could drop all the way into the third or fourth round, and he might be a steal. Because if he decides to come back or he misses a couple of games, you got yourself a number one running back who was ranked number one in all of fantasy last year. And it makes the Jim Irsay, one, the comments, really disgusting in itself, too. If he's going to die tonight, we're not going to care. Like, that's just so stupid to say in itself. And it's already going to drive Jonathan Taylor away from having any shot at trying to re-sign with the organization as it is. And then you're saying you're not going to trade him, so you're going to hold him hostage. And that's not a good way to treat players, and that's going to be enticing for players to want to come there. The Colts have had trouble with free agency as it is. How many times have they been in on a big free agent, and they have all this money to spend? They're the number one team in salary cap in the offseason, and they never get these guys, and a lot of that has to do with Jim Irsay's reputation as an owner, and Dan Snyder is now finally gone, so he's one of the few like old-school stubborn owners left. This is what bothers me about the NFL and ownership and these executives, these GMs that speak out about the running back position and making it seem that the running back position isn't important. The running backs get the worst beatens every single year. And I understand the way they structure the game is they want these running backs to play three or four years and then they throw them to the Wolves and let them become free agents because they don't want to pay them. But when they are 50 to 60% of your offense, how could you disrespect that particular player when he's in the prime of his career and he's gone out there week in and week out and put his body on the line? We talk about concussions. We talk about CTE. We talk about everything that's going on in sports. And you look at the position that the players get the worst beatings. You have to run through defensive linemen at 350, 360 pounds, 380 pounds, beating the hell out of you at the line of scrimmage. And you're doing everything you can to break it tackle and try to get those extra yards and you don't get the respect from ownership you don't get the respect by your own coaches when it comes down to your contracts and your contract disputes and I believe Jonathan Taylor has an interesting thought to the fact that the organization doesn't respect him as a running back if I was Jonathan Taylor I said you know what I don't want to be a running back anymore put me at wide receiver I can catch the ball I can run faster than any of these wide receivers how about this Put me as a strong safety. I could probably run better than any of your strong safeties and intercept the ball because I can actually catch the ball. 
Can't be any worse than all the injury-riddled defensive backs the Colts had last year. <laughs> it's disrespectful. I understand there's certain positions that you look at, and those are the positions you want to build your team around. The quarterback position, the offensive tackle position, the cornerback position, the defensive end position. Those are the four most important positions. Each position plays a big part of a championship team. Most people will say, hey, look at Kansas City. Every time they win, they have a different running back. When the game was dominant in the 80s and the 90s, and those running backs, those big running backs, the Walter Paytons of the world, the Emmett Smiths of the world. Barry Sanders, who barely played in the playoffs because his team sucked, but nevertheless. <laughs> they won the one playoff game in their franchise history in the Super Bowl era with Barry Sanders. The running back position played a big part of the way the team runs their offense. And now because the league has changed, because these wide receivers are prima donnas, and they have to wear dresses when they want to go into their third or fourth years, and they want $100 million because they're the crap, that bothers me more than anything. Because the running back is a big part of a team's offense. If you look at the Jets' offense last year, before Brees Hall got hurt, Brees Hall was about 40% of the Jets' offense last year. Maybe because the quarterbacks couldn't throw the ball. They had three of them that were just absolutely horrific. But nevertheless, he was 40% of the Jets' offense. He was a rookie for years. Ezekiel Elliott, and he got a lot of money. He was 40%, 45% of the Dallas Cowboys' offense. And now with Pollard, you can contradict what they were last year. They are probably more than 40% of the Cowboys' offense. It was the two running backs and CeeDee Lamb as the other 50%. Right, because Pollard actually catch passes. Zeke didn't do much with that besides 2021. I understand the way the game wants to pursue players because of the position that they play. But you have to look at the big picture for the league. And if you're telling a running back you're not going to respect the position that they play, you're not going to respect them after three or four years of their rookie contract, then just trade them. Just get rid of them. There are teams out there that value the running back position because the Cowboys value them. They're paying Pollard $10 million franchise yeah, franchise tag. Same mistake one. And, and Ezekiel Elliott got $16 million a year. So they were happy with that. McCaffrey's making $16 million yep. because of the Carolina Panthers. So they believed in him. And then there are teams that just don't believe in specific positions. And I don't understand it. I think it hurts the league. If I'm a running back right now going in from college to the NFL, I'm telling them I don't want to play running back. I'd rather be a strong safety. I'm big enough to play linebacker. I'm 225 pounds. If I put on 15 pounds of muscles in the offseason, I'll play the safety position. At least I know I'm going to play 12 years in the NFL. It's terrible. When you have guys like Saquon Barkley, who has really had trouble getting a contract from the Giants, Kareem Hunt that still doesn't have a contract, Ezekiel Elliott who still doesn't have a contract, Leonard Fournette that doesn't have a contract. These are still guys in the primes of their career. They still could play the game, and they could still play it at a high level. Zeke ran over 1,000 yards last year. Kareem Hunt at close to 1,000 yards last year. These guys are good offensive players, but they're disrespected by the league. You also look at somebody like Jonathan Taylor, too, who had to play with many different quarterbacks throughout his career, too. Remember, he came in in 2020 when the Colts had Phillip Rivers right at the end of his career, and they had a rookie wide receiver in Michael Pittman. You had an injury-prone receiver in T.Y. Hilton. That, like, that was really their offense and a multitude of tight ends. 2021, they try out Carson Wentz. He was efficient for his standards, but still was up and down throughout the year, and he still was great amidst all that. He had a rough first month, and it was the best running back in football 
football the rest of the year. And then last year, he had some injury issues. But again, who was his quarterback? Matt Ryan, who fell off a cliff this year and definitely looked like he had to retire. And none of those other receivers really played well around him outside of Pittman to really supplement, I'm going to take all the attention away from Jonathan Taylor. Now you go to a new coaching staff. And this is what's interesting, too, because a coach comes from the Eagles, who they ran the ball very well last year. Obviously, great offensive line and Jalen Hurts. But still, they still had good running backs that were failing with other coaches. And they made it work. And Jonathan Taylor is a lot more skilled than the running backs the Eagles had last year. Why not would you not want to embrace that and try to get your contract up? At the same time, though, the way Jim Irsay has been treating you, faking a back injury and misconstruing a report and saying all these stupid things about you, I don't blame you for that either. <laughs> when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Damian Lillard could receive a disciplinary situation from the NBA as he has told his agent that he only wants to play for one team. And the NBA says... Not a chance, buddy. So when we come back, we'll get into this whole Damian Lillard situation. If you're a Damian Lillard fan, you cannot be happy about this. Or maybe you are happy because he could be a trailblazer still next year. As the NBA could veto the trade if he gets traded to the Heat. As the new CBA rules could absolutely drop the hammer on him. When we come back, we'll get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Sports Lamouts, which airs every single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. with me and Speedy Petey. Great content, crazy callers, and great guests as well. Tune into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. It is not steaming here in Long Island, but it might be steaming in Portland. As Damian Lillard, who has demanded his way out of Portland to head out to steamy Miami, could be steaming somewhere else because the NBA might veto this trade because Damian Lillard doesn't shut his mouth. Neither does his agent. ESPN's Bontemps reports that the NBA sent a memo to Damian Lillard and his agent, Aaron Goodwin, that their comments of trying to leverage their way to the Heat could be subjected to a discipline by the NBA. Tim also added any comments being made about not performing or giving effort to another team could also receive discipline. His agent, Aaron Goodwin, denied saying anything about Dame refusing to play for another team other than the Heat. According to the new CBA, Lillard will be fined $150,000 if he makes any more of these comments and could be suspended too. The NBA could veto the trade if there are any more violations, but Adam Silver doesn't believe that it would get to that extreme. Anthony Davis faced a similar situation when Rich Paul Paul said he only wanted to be traded to the Lakers, and that wasn't vetoed, and Davis was not suspended. Dame Lillard is going to go to the Heat. It's pretty much stamped and delivered. He is going to the Miami Heat. The fact that him and his agent are doing these things, not only in social media, but when they're interviewing with different broadcasters and different analysts, it's only throwing that this situation under the bus, and it's prolonging this. If Dame and his agent just shut up 
and let this move forward. Dame will get what he wants. He will be traded to the Heat. The Heat will trade some of those pieces away that the Portland Trailblazers will accept and move forward with. Maybe a Tyler Hero of that magnitude or something like that, or maybe two other pieces. But the fact that these guys, they're his agent. This isn't Dame-like because we have seen this for many, many, many years from different agents and different players. But I would have never thought to see this from Dame. Dame is a quiet guy. Dame is a guy that respected the Trailblazers organization and that wanted to be a Trailblazer for life. He said that a couple of years ago when he was playing for Team USA and he was interviewed and there were stories coming out that he wanted to be a New York Nick. And obviously that was completely broken apart because Dame signed the two-year $60 million a year. And now all of a sudden going into his final year of the $120 million contract that he got from his Trailblazers, he demanded that he wants to be traded and pretty much traded to the Heat. That's not Dame-like, and having his agent speak for him is just an absolute debacle. His agent should not be speaking for him. This is a man. This is a guy that's one of the more respected players in the league, and by the way, one of the better players in the league. And for him to go out there and let his agent speak for him is an absolute catastrophe. He should be fined $150,000, and the NBA should veto the trade. He should not be traded to the Heat, because if he goes to the Heat, it almost guarantees them to go to the Eastern Conference Finals. And again, you look at the circumstances, too. Like, there's no reason to push it on further when it's not like the Heat were like the third or fourth team that were listed in these trade rumors too as the favorites too and everyone behind the scenes NBA executive president of basketball operations will know that the Heat have all that kind of leverage in this situation too because the Portland Trailblazers one for one thing waited too long as it was Damian Lillard could have been traded three years ago and they wouldn't have been having to go through this situation and they could have gotten a lot better of value back and Damian Lillard is loyal he's been there 11 years now for all the roster turnover that the Portland Trailblazers have had they've had some good playoffs years. They had a year where they went to the Western Conference Finals and they lost against Golden State. But you look at a case of this now affecting the trade value for the Blazers, where they're having to do all these three-way trade proposals because of that too, because the Heat can't trade Kyle Lowry, the Heat can't trade Duncan Robinson, whatever it may take as it is, and now you're dealing with a case of if these discipline could come down, that could be even less trade value back for the Blazers, so I kind of feel bad for them in their sport. For Damian Lillard and his agent, like, yeah, they're just being stupid and leveraging that. You don't want it to get to that kind of extreme. I don't think it will, but I don't think you'd want to risk it either by saying all these things. Now, I wanted to get into this because my friend Eric's house. Two of his friends there, and they're nice guys. I respect them. And we were arguing about Kobe Bryant. And it was all the Stephen Curry and how he changed the league and changed the game. My argument with Steph Curry is, he changed the game, he ruined the game. The big man really has no meaning on the basketball court anymore. If you remember the 80s and the 90s, the center position was such a very important position in basketball. Now, if the center can't shoot, he barely plays. And that's why we see so many NBA teams play small now. Golden State, we have seen the Heat play small. The Dallas Mavericks played small when they went to the Western Conference Finals. Why? Because nobody cares about the big man anymore. And why? Because Stephen Curry changed the game because he's one of the best, and he is the best three-point shooter of all time. Now, we were arguing about our top 10 players of all time in the NBA. That was the argument. We were going back and forth. There were great arguments, and I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. But when somebody comes to me and attacks me and says to me, well, did you ever play basketball before? And attack my athletic background because my arguments to basketball and what we were arguing about with Shaquille O'Neal, and I believe Shaquille O'Neal 
was the most dominant player on those back-to-back-to-back championships with the Lakers. He was the best player on that team. There was no question he was the best player on that team. Their argument was, why don't I put Kobe Bryant in my top 10? And my argument back to them is, when you mimic the greatest basketball player of all time, you are transitioning your game. And I look at basketball, my top 10 players in hockey, top 10 players in basketball, baseball, football, I look at those guys are transitional players. They change the sport for the better. And Kobe Bryant, I'm not saying Kobe Bryant didn't change the sport. He was the black mamba. He was a sensational player. But when you're compared to Michael Jordan, you did everything Michael Jordan did. There was a player like you in the top 10. As a matter of fact, he was the greatest player to ever play the game. So you look at Magic Johnson. He changed the game. He changed the way, the point guard, to the power forward and center position. A guy that could defend multiple positions. Larry Bird changed the game. The way you shoot the basketball, but also the way you dominate in many different ways of the basketball court. Larry Bird wasn't just a shooter. He can go to the hole. He was one of the greatest foul shooters of all time and one of the greatest, deadliest shooters in the playoffs. What bothered me is somebody was attacking my athletic ability on knowing what I know about basketball. So because he thought I never played basketball, I shouldn't have no argument to the Steph Curry situation, to the Kyrie Irving, Steph Curry information. Because I argued that Kyrie Irving was a better all-around player than Steph. That doesn't mean he has a better career than Steph Curry. But if you ask me, athletically, who is a better player, it's Kyrie. I don't like the guy. I don't like both guys. But that doesn't mean they're both not talented players. But Kobe Bryant is a name that everybody argues with me. They think that I'm a hater. I can't stand Kobe. First of all, I have a lot of respect for Kobe Bryant. I think he's one of the greatest twos we have ever seen, if not the greatest two-three we've ever seen in the game besides Michael Jordan. And then the argument was, who would you rather in a big game, Kobe Bryant or LeBron James? And their argument was, do you trust LeBron James at the end of the game to hit the big game-winning shot? I know everybody says it's all about being a killer. Michael Jordan was a killer. Kobe Bryant was a killer. And that's what sells everybody when it comes to the NBA and basketball. Because you want the killer. You want the guy that's going to drive the ball down your throat with two minutes left of the game. He's going to take over the game and hit the big game-winning shots. But that's not the only thing you have to do to win that basketball game. You got to make blocks. You got to play defense. You got to take over the game technically, mentally, before you take over the game physically. I'm not saying Kobe Bryant isn't a killer. I'm not saying Kobe Bryant isn't one of the greatest playoff players we've ever seen. But to try to compare Kobe Bryant to LeBron James is absolutely ludicrous. LeBron James, when he's done with his career, he's going to hold every NBA record. And by the way, LeBron James was breaking these records quicker than Kobe Bryant's career before he retired. He's got every single playoff record. Regular season, he beat out Kareem Abdul-Jabbar scoring record, which everybody thought was unbreakable. But we're trying to compare Kobe Bryant to arguably the second greatest basketball player of all time. And I'm not saying Kobe isn't great. If I rank him 16th, if I rank him 10, what does it matter? Why does my athletic basketball background mean anything to my knowledge of the game of basketball? You're going to tell me that Shaquille O'Neal wasn't the best player on those three championships? I don't know what you were watching. I don't know. He won three MVPs in every single one of those years. And then the argument was, if Shaquille O'Neal was in the prime of his career, he wouldn't be able to dominate in the basketball we have watched now. That if Shaquille O'Neal was in the prime when he was on Orlando slash the Lakers in the beginning stages of his career, he couldn't compete with the centers or the athletic talent on the basketball court right now. 
That's ridiculous. That guy was, for six years, was the most dominant player in the NBA. Because he was big, that's why. You're telling me he had no athletic ability? The guy would run up and down the court just as fast as a three and a four. Go to the hole, rip a basketball, hoop down on the ground. Strength, power, athletic ability. Why? Because he couldn't hit a free throw? That's why he wasn't good? That's ridiculous. For me not to put Kobe Bryant in my top 10, it's so close. You put on the list Oscar Robertson, Will Chamberlain. And that was another thing. They thought, Will, because he was seven foot and he was the biggest guy in the NBA, that's why he was so dominant, which is ridiculous. He still has to play the game. He still was a pretty good shooter. He still averaged almost 50 points a game in one season. He still scored 100 points in one game. You think that's easy? Come on, guys. If you're a big, huge basketball fan, and there's a lot of big Kobe Bryant fans, I can argue that I'm not a Kobe Bryant fan. That doesn't mean I don't respect the guy. That doesn't mean I thought he wasn't a killer in the regular season and the playoffs. It just means that I think Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Tim Duncan, Hakeem Olajuwon, Shaquille O'Neal, Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, that's just some that I think are better than he is. That's my opinion. That doesn't mean I'm right. It doesn't mean I'm wrong. But what does that have anything to do with my athletic ability? When you look at and you try to compare some of the greatest athletes in their sports, they're centimeters better than the other player. Very small. And when you're trying to compare the top 25 players of all time, it's so close. The only player that I think is just not even close is Michael Jordan. The fact that LeBron James thinks he's a better player than Michael Jordan is ridiculous. He's not. Do I think LeBron James could be the second greatest player of all time? Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, by the time he's done, he will be, if he's not already. And for anybody to think Kobe Bryant is better than him because he was a killer is ridiculous. Who would you rather shoot the ball at the end of the game, Kobe Bryant or LeBron James? I've seen Kobe hit big shots. I've seen LeBron James hit big shots in big games. I also saw LeBron James go to eight straight finals. Not many players have ever done, including Kobe Bryant. And everybody says, well, did he win? Do you think it's easy to win eight straight final appearances? It is not. And everybody says, oh, LeBron had to go and play with his buddies to win championships. LeBron James was a series away from winning a championship with one of the worst teams we have ever seen. That Cleveland Cavalier team with Hughes and that garbage of a basketball team. To bring up my athletic ability because, hey, did you ever play basketball? So how would you know? What does that have anything to do with my knowledge? And I was a good basketball player, as a matter of fact. It really annoyed the hell out of me. And what does that have anything to do with my basketball knowledge? If I ever play basketball or I didn't play basketball. And that pissed me off. Because the first thing that popped into my mind is we had great arguments on the Kobe Bryant, Steph Curry, Kyrie Irving, Shaquille O'Neal. There were so many guys. Tim Duncan. As a matter of fact, two of these guys thought that Kobe Bryant was a better player than Tim Duncan. Which is ridiculous. Tim Duncan was the anchor of those Spurs five championships. He was the guy. Yeah, you needed Kawhi Leonard. You needed Tony Parker. You needed Ginobili. You needed all these guys. But who was the guy? It was Tim Duncan. Kawhi Leonard, when he won finals MVP with the Spurs, was right at the beginning of his career. Like, he wasn't in his prime yet. (laughs) It's just ridiculous. It's bothersome because you cannot attack somebody by thinking, hey, you never played basketball, so how would you know? Speedy never played basketball. I bet you he has more knowledge than half you guys out there when it comes to the NBA. It's a flawed argument. So just because you didn't play basketball does not mean you're allowed to report on basketball. And I did play basketball. (laughs) Anyone that watches basketball, maybe 1% of them played college basketball. Nevertheless, 
professional basketball that watch basketball. If you're a fan of something, you're allowed to go to a game. You're allowed to support a team. That doesn't make you have to play basketball necessarily. You can enjoy a sport without having to watch it. I'm sure anyone out there has watched an Olympic sport that they haven't ever played before. I'm sure they've watched, look at the Women's World Cup. They haven't played soccer all the time. I was watching them. Like, this is just a stupid argument. He won two MVPs in his whole career. 21 years, he was the MVP twice. How many MVPs has LeBron won? Five of them in 20 years of basketball. He should have won more of them, but he got robbed. He should have won a couple defensive players of the year. He never won them. He got robbed. Whatever. And I'm not saying Kobe Bryant wasn't special. He was. He was special. What, do you want me to kiss his ass? My arguments here is that if I never played basketball in my life, he rolled his eyes and I told him, yeah, I played basketball. As a matter of fact, I was an all-state cross-country, all-state track and field runner. I was an all-world hockey player. I played football in ninth grade. I was a varsity corner and wide receiver. I played basketball. I played baseball. I played tennis. What does that mean when I'm arguing? He asked me, who would you take, Allen Iverson or Kobe Bryant? Allen Iverson. Why? Because Allen Iverson took two teams to the finals with nobody. Eric Snow, are you kidding me? Derek Coleman? Garbage. Matumbo at the end of his career? Garbage. Kobe Bryant, when Shaquille O'Neal was traded to the Miami Heat, how long did it take him to win another championship? Two years. You know why? Because he couldn't do it without Shaq. He needed Paul Gasol. He needed Ron Artest. Lamar Odom. He needed those guys. I'm not saying you don't need other guys to win championships. You need a team to win a championship. One guy can't do it. But Kobe did not do it without Shaq until he had another big superstar playing right next to him. And if Kobe was such a killer, he would have. As a matter of fact, he barely got his team in the playoffs, which is ridiculous. When we come back, Errol Spence gets absolutely dominated as my bet the boat absolutely Drop the hammer on everyone that bet their money on Errol Spence. When we come back, we'll get into Spence and Crawford and... Crunch time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday... From 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including The Loudmouths, which airs every single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. with me and Speedy Petey. Check out all the great guests and great content throughout the week. And check out the menu bar when all the shows are airing throughout the week and weekend by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Before we get into crunch time, I do want to quickly get into this Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford fight. Now, Errol Spence, after the fight, is not making any excuses, but that orbital bone that he hurt in that car accident, I believe played a big factor in in that Terrence Crawford fight. Now, he did not say that. Some people in his camp believe that he might not be the same fighter he'll ever be before he got into that car accident. He has been a dominant force. He's been a dominant fighter for a few fights before this Terrence Crawford. Terrence Crawford is a different kind of beast. He really is. And coming out to Eminem, and I understand everybody sitting here, when Eminem came out, everybody thought he won the fight already by coming out of Lose Yourself 
And if you haven't checked out 8 Mile, well, I don't know where you crawled up in. But Terrence Crawford coming out to Eminem and Lose Yourself was definitely something that really stood out to a lot of fans. And then the confidence level and the way he stood with Errol Spence, the bigger fighter, and taking the punches that Errol Spence was throwing at him, it was complete domination. There was nothing close about that fight. Maybe the first or second round, it could have went to Errol Spence, but every other round was just completely dominated for Terrence Crawford. I really believe that Terrence Crawford never got his credit. Never anybody believed that he was the fighter that Errol Spence was or any of the fighters that he fought that Errol Spence fought a little bit earlier in the year or the last two years. But Terrence Crawford showed up in the fight. He was the better fighter and I believe the the best pound-for-pound fighter in all of boxing. So congratulations to Terrence Crawford on a complete domination. Errol Spence is definitely going to have to take a step back. He already said that he wants to move up to the 154-pound weight class. He says he wants to have a rematch with Terrence Crawford, but he wants to fight him at 154. There's no way Terrence Crawford, the champion, is going to fight him at 154. So if Errol Spence wants to fight Terrence Crawford again, it will have to be at his weight and his weight class. So I don't know if you'll ever see Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence fight again, but I expect Errol Spence to move up to 154, his natural weight and his natural weight class. But it was a great fight. Errol Spence tried to make it through the 12 rounds, but he was just getting pulverized. He got knocked down three times. Errol Spence never hit the canvas in his career and in that fight he fell down and he hit the canvas three times so a complete domination a fantastic fighter in Terrence Crawford and we'll see what happens if there is a rematch and now ladies and gentlemen crunch time it's time for crunch time all right we'll start in the NFL with crunch time buy or sell the Colts will trade Jonathan Taylor before the season starts I absolutely buy it I cannot see the Colts bringing him into the locker room I've heard a lot of stories coming out from the organization that they're tired of his mouth they're tired of certain things that are going on in the locker room and on the field I believe Jonathan Taylor will be traded before the season starts so I am going to buy it I'm going to sell it I think Jonathan Taylor is going to use the Colts new offense as some leverage to get more money later I think it's a smarter play for Jonathan Taylor right now, especially in a tough running back market, because here's the thing. He's actually got some leverage in the fact that he's younger and a little more durable than somebody like Saquon Barkley and these other running backs that he's fighting for contracts. Or I think he'll play a little bit. He's not going to play the whole season with the Colts, but I do think he'll play some, so I'm going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. After a quiet trade deadline, the Yankees will finish last in the American League East. I'm going to sell that. There's no way they're going to finish last. I think the Red Sox are our worst team in that division, and we'll see what happens, because the Blue Jays have fallen apart for the last couple of years, especially the last 20 to 30 games of the season. So I am going to sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. The Red Sox, I don't think what they have is sustainable right now either. The Yankees are going to get guys healthy as well. The Red Sox don't have enough pitching. I know the Yankees' offense has been really bad, but I think they will end up waking up at some point. They've had the record of winning seasons for a reason. I think they keep it going. All right, so I'm going to sell that as well. All right, to the Women's World Cup, some surprise teams. Morocco, Jamaica, South Africa, and Nigeria advancing to the knockout round. Buy or sell, one of them will win. I'm going to sell that. I know they're having a great World Cup, and nobody would have thought in their wildest dreams they would be here. But there's still a lot of powerhouses still in this World Cup tournament, including Team USA. Team USA lost a big game, but they're still in it, and they still could win the gold medal. And there's quite a few other great teams in this tournament, so I am going to sell it. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to go with Morocco as an upset here, because it did it in a region that had Germany already, too. Germany was number two FIFA seed, and they got knocked out already. And France, who they're playing, has not looked great either. I think they're the only ones that have a shot. I think Colombia and England will be fine, and the Netherlands. But I do think Morocco was pesky with the 
men. I think they do it with the women as well. So I am going to buy that one. All right, buy or sell. Donovan Mitchell will be traded at some point next season. I'm going to buy it. I just don't believe Donovan Mitchell wants to be in Cleveland. It pretty much looked like that this offseason. He's been hanging out here in New York. He's been hanging out at the Garden. He's been hanging out at MetLife Stadium. He's been hanging out at City Field. I think it's inevitable that he will be a Nick. So I am going to buy it. I'm going to sell it. I don't think it happens this season, though. I think the Cavs are still going to be good. As long as they're going to be good, I don't think they're going to trade him right away. I do think Donovan Mitchell could be frustrated with the organization, and I think it's going to stem into the next offseason. I don't think it'll stem into this season because I don't think Cleveland is going to get that much worse either. So I'm going to sell that one. Let's go to some college football. The Big Ten might have some more new teams from the Pac-12. Not just USC and UCLA. Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal. Buy or sell, two of those teams will move. I'm going to buy it. I think right now with the NCAA, they want to make money, and this is a money changer. And if you bring in one or two of these teams, it's going to bring in more money. And with the new NIL deals and with the NCAA trying to bring in more ball games, it's going to work. So I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. I think that definitely, especially when you look at Stanford and Cal, programs that are definitely needing a reputation change as a whole too. Oregon's been pretty good as it is, no matter what conference they're in. But Washington's been mediocre, and the other two teams have just been terrible in the modern era. So I am going to buy that as well. All right, back to the NFL. We know Justin Herbert got a big contract last week, and there's another quarterback from his draft class in Joe Burrow that wants to be paid. Buy or sell, he will get $10 million more than what Herbert got. I'm going to buy it because right now Joe Burrow is one of the top three quarterbacks in the NFL. He's proven it. Everything that he's done over the last couple of years, even coming back from his significant knee injury, putting up the numbers and going all the way to the Super Bowl. I think he's a Super Bowl contending quarterback every single year. He is going to make his money. I absolutely buy it. He will get more money than Justin Herbert. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too, because especially with the comments that Mike Brown made last week of not wanting to keep all three of Burrow, Chase, and T. Higgins too. I think T. Higgins will be the one that ends up getting traded to give them leverage to pay Burrow a lot more than what he wants to. And again, Joe Burrow, his durability is the only issue because he had that bad injury his rookie year, but he's still been great since then. Very consistent and good in the playoffs and a great leader for this Bengals team. So I'm going to buy that as well. All right, buy or sell. The Mets will trade Pete Alonso. I'm going to buy it. I just don't think that Pete Alonso is very happy with the organization after hearing that he was on the trade block. He is probably in the offseason going to reach out to the Mets organization and ask them, are you willing to pay me the money that I want or trade me? I think the Mets are pretty much already potentially coming to a conclusion that they're going to be sellers and they're going to try to move on with Pete Alonso. So I am absolutely going to buy it. They're going to trade Pete Alonso. I'm going to sell it. I think they're going to have to overpay him in order to keep him happy, but I do think they will make it happen. Uncle Stevie will shed out money, whether it's realistic or not. He will definitely pay him a little more than he's worth. I think Pete Alonso's projected market value was an eight-year, like a 270 something like what Nolan Arenado got, but he's younger than what Arenado was at the time, so I do think he'll get it, and I do think Pete Alonso's comments about Billy Epper will leverage a little more out of it, so I'm going to sell. They're going to pay him, but they're going to have to overpay him. All right, last one. Sunday World Cup. USA will upset Sweden. Listen, I think the USA is going to win the World Cup. I think they're going to the World Cup. I think they're the best powerhouse still in the tournament. So I'm going to buy it. I think they knock off Sweden and they go all the way to the World Cup finals. This actually was my pick for the finals at the start. USA ranked number one, Sweden number three, but I'm going to sell it just because I think the injuries have really hurt Team USA too, especially in the midfield. Losing Mallory Pugh, losing Sam Mewis. They haven't gotten a lot on offense too, and this coach has made a lot of weird substitutions as well. Sweden has been very 
very good. I think they've scored 10 goals in the World Cup so far. And they have a little bit of a rivalry going. Now, I agree with you. If they advance past this game, they're going to still be deadly the rest of the way. But I do think they've had this feud going for a while. Sweden won the Olympics. U.S. won the last World Cup. I am going to sell that. I think Sweden, unfortunately, does it this time as much as I don't want it to happen. That's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you to our special guest, Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Mets beat writer Pat Regazzo. Thank you for joining us. I know you're a busy guy as the Mets are just making terrible moves <laughs> and just trading away their future or maybe adding some future consideration. Nevertheless, the New York Mets are going to move on into the offseason as sellers. We'll see what they do in the offseason, but they already said next year is a year that they don't care if they win or lose. So it's 2025 and 2026 where they expect to win. So it's probably going to be another losing season for you Mets fans. But thank you to Regazzo. Thank you to all the fans. We'll be back next week. Speedy, enjoy your vacation. And we will be back. Listen to our network by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out our show on Wednesday, the Sports Lamouts with me and Speedy PD, as we're going to have fantastic guests next week, as always. And we'll be back for the Weekend Crunch on Saturday at 7 p.m. as well. Good night, everybody.